0: Hosea chapter four. Well, once again, we find ourselves in America here uh, holding our breath because of another court case. And how is it going to turn out? Is it going to be another, you know, Rodney King thing? Is it going to be a, you know, um, another George Floyd? Is it going to be another situation where we find ourselves, you know, with riots in the streets? Um, and it depends on kind of the verdict uh, of Rittenhouse, the young guy, 17 years old that, um, you know, carried his AR out to apparently defend his family's businesses and what have you. And there was rioting and burning down of autos and car dealerships and stuff. It was, you know, it was kind of an apocalyptic scene if you remember those nights. Um, Portland, we know all about that. We had hundred nights of that in a row. Um, we, we knew what that looked like, and, and it was, it's really interesting, but Kyle Rittenhouse, you know. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the they gave their closing arguments, uh, and now the jury's been deliberating, and the jury deliberated a second full day today without reaching a verdict and will return in the morning. Uh, it's going to be interesting, and, uh, and the rioters are already getting ready. They're, you know, uh, sharpening their... Um, you know, water bottles or whatever they have uh, to throw and, and, uh, you know, Molotov cocktails or whatever they're getting ready to do as they did before, you know, the past few summers and what all, but you gotta love the Babylon Bee. They're always good for a good laugh. Uh, Babylon Bee, they said this, Carl Rittenhouse asked to step outside and defend the courthouse while the verdict is being read. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. but it really is sad because um you know when our leaders are unable to or when unwilling to protect you know our um our you know businesses and our cities um, you know it, it shouldn't be a shock whether it's right or wrong the vigilanteism as they call it or whatever it, people shouldn't be shocked, shocked when people start defending stuff that is their own that is kind of a thing and um, and people do that but um but it's interesting because it seems that there's kind of a movement in our culture to say, um, you know, lawlessness is okay. We shouldn't be okay with that, but but the Bible says, you and I as Christians, we should be kind of sad to hear that, but we should also be glad to remember that the Bible says that in the last days, there'd be lawlessness. And what we're seeing today is actually um, the events falling into place. You might say it's falling apart. It is, but it's also falling into place the way the Lord said it would in the last days. And these are just evidences of that falling into place. Uh, Lawlessness is abounding and what have you. Um, Hosea chapter four, as it turns out, is is sort of like what we've been witnessing in that it's an indictment legally. It's a legal indictment against the northern 10 tribes of Israel. Um, we're going to sort of leave this beautiful story of the redemptive Hosea and Gomer as we did really on Sunday. We looked at the five verses of chapter 3. But the last two verses left the story of Hosea being an illustration of God who loved the prostitute wife Israel and was willing to take her back time and time again. That story was verses 1 to And three, but verses four and five, we saw the Lord. Let's go back and review that real quick. In chapter three, it says in verse four, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image, without an ephod and without teraphim. And then afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God. And David their king shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. When's Israel gonna be brought back? to a place where they love the Lord in the latter days. The the Old Testament, when you see that phrase, latter days, we're talking about the end times, the end of the world. When's Israel gonna see it, get it, finally turn around and follow the true and living God and, and believe that Jesus is the Messiah? In the latter days. But verse four says, until then, they were gonna be scattered and they wouldn't have a temple and they wouldn't have a place to do sacrifice and the priest wouldn't be able to wear a zephod because they'd be in the diaspora, the the scattering of the Jews. And and the Lord says, why? Why will you be scattered? Why won't you be able to function as my people should? Well, that's what chapter four is about. Here's the why. Why is it really is the indictment against the Jews for the evil that they had done And this will be reminiscent of what some of the other prophets were saying. If you recall Jeremiah, the prophet, who was saying a very similar kind of message. By the way, just remember, this is before that. 586 BC, that's when the Babylonians took the Southern two tribes. But these Northern tribes will go to the Assyrian and assimilate into their culture and be wiped out by the Assyrians in 722. So this is quite a bit before Jeremiah's time, but it's interesting, Jeremiah and Hosea have very similar ministries and very similar messages and very similar timing. It'd be at the end of Hosea's ministry that um, you know, the Jews would be taken captive by the Assyrian Empire, just like Jeremiah would be at the end of his ministry that the Jews would be taken by the Babylonian Empire, the southern two tribes. <clears throat> so this is what we have given to us this last uh, sort of indictment of that northern 10 tribes. Well, it starts with verse one. It says, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Here's where he kind of starts it out, lays it down. He says, the Lord hath a controversy. Um, and if you look up that word for controversy there in verse one, it means to bring an indictment, a charge against the people. And that's really what this chapter is. It's kind of a, a legal term. And so the Lord says, man, it's, it's, it's not that you know, it's controversial. It's just, the Lord says, I, I've got a charge against you. And he gives three main things there in verse one. He says that there's no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. One of the things that you and I really can't help but see when we read these Old Testament passages is the familiarity with human nature. Things haven't changed all that much. Once in a while, I'll hear somebody say, man, I don't get why people read the Old Testament. It was thousands of years ago and the people were so different then. And I'm thinking, what Bible are you reading? Because when I read this, I think, wow, this verse one could be a, an indictment against the United States of America. No truth, no mercy, and no knowledge of God in our land. Isn't it interesting, no knowledge of God? You know, we have, you know, the church bells ring on Sunday mornings still in America, but very few people actually come anymore. Um, the irreligious in America, the number is growing exponentially. Uh, The the people that don't attend church and and are are identifying with no faith whatsoever is on the rise here in America, according to certain people that study these things. But if there's no knowledge of God, then the other two kind of are automatics, no truth nor mercy, because truth and mercy kind of goes hand in hand with the Lord himself. Jesus is the embodiment of truth and mercy. And so here, this, this indictment really does sort of ring true, even in our culture, in our days. Um, this this idea of no truth, we're seeing this on so many levels. No truth, we're seeing it, you know, um, in the media, and the news. Um, man, there's just no truth out there. And if you think you have the news agency that's speaking the gospel truth, boy, you're mistaken. Uh, but Brad, I watch Fox News exactly. I watch CNN, perfectly, yeah, exactly. MSNBC, are they still on? Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, and NPR, like whoever you're watching, it's, it's amazing. Like if you ask the average American today um, in the big insurrection, January 6th. Um, now, those of us from Portland, at least the people that I talk to, maybe I'm in a, a crazy group, but we saw, like I said, 100 nights of rioting in our city. We saw a guy shot in the chest. We saw people kicked in the head and punched and smashed with skateboards. We saw uh, guys with uh, concrete milkshakes uh, smashed, you know, for being a, a gay reporter. Like it's an amazing thing what we've watched, Portland burning down. Uh, if you go to our city down in Portland, which used to be one of the, I'd say one of the nicer cities in America, it looks like Armageddon now down there. Go downtown. It's it's kind of amazing. Maybe we'll talk about that in a second. But um, you know what's really sad about this is um, the 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 lies that media will tell you about certain things, and it's kind of amazing. If you ask people about the insurrection there on January sixth, you know, well, who died? Um, Well, they will tell you. A lot of people say, well, there was a you know Capitol police officer that was killed brutally. And you'll even see images of, of a red fire extinguisher being pounded in the head of a guy, you know, of one of the officers. Like, man, that, they had, it was an insurrection. Those people. Well, the problem with the fire extinguisher death of the Capitol policeman, that didn't happen. It just didn't. Um, if you don't believe me, uh, let's go to that. I'll go to the enemy side, NPR, and I'll tell you um, they finally had to admit, um, you know, and by the way, these admissions came way after the damage was already done way after, you know, uh, everybody believed that um, there was a bunch of people smashing this police officer with a fire extinguisher in the head. Um, And that sort of set the tone for this massive protest that became an insurrection, you know, worse than Pearl Harbor, they said, worse than 9-11. Well, how many people died? One and it was a woman who wasn't wearing any, uh, you know, weapon or didn't have a weapon on her. Who was a former military, uh, and she was she was shot without warning. Like that's uh, so. So one of the protesters died, but that's it. That's all. That no one else died. That's I'd say it's hardly December seventh. You know, Pearl Harbor. I'd say you know if, if you kind of do your history check, not even close. Uh, There were nights in Portland that were 100 times worse than what happened on January 6th. And we had many of them in a row, Um, but what's the deal? Well, it's lies, there's a bunch of lies. Well, there was a police officer killed. Nope, total lie, look it up. Even NPR had to admit that the officer, Brian Sicknick died of natural causes um, uh, they even they went from smashing in the head with a, a fire extinguisher to no 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 it wasn't that it was protesters putting you know chemicals on him that caused him to have you know uh, the, the the death uh, re- reaction or whatever um, but even that wasn't true. It was just uh, natural causes um, a lot after, days after this thing actually happened, which is so so amazing. And you know, you won't hear about this. You just hear it on little tiny news things off, way off in the corner that nobody reads. But meanwhile, the narrative is still out there and people are believing certain things. I'm not even gonna say that it's one-sided. I think some of the lies come from various sides of each argument. Like we have to be really careful about all the stuff we're hearing today because man, I don't trust really any source anymore. That's why I'm so thankful I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not a news reporter. I'm not reporting what news reporters report um, other than just showing you that, be, be real careful. Don't believe everything you hear today. And all this bickering and anger and, 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 and because of the lies, there's no truth. There's also no mercy. Have you noticed that? Mercy's gone out the window. So like we're seeing the lies and then we're seeing no mercy. Um, And it's amazing to me. It just goes on and on. And I think it's all a result of the third one. There's no knowledge of God. That's where it all starts. When people don't care about God anymore, then they don't care about the truth and they don't care about mercy. And and we're seeing that sort of on on a huge level today. We need to be children of the truth. Uh, speak the word of God, you'll be in good shape. Be careful when you're uh, quoting your favorite news source and what have you. I think we're in big trouble. But that's what's happening. There's no mercy, there's no truth, and there's no knowledge of God in the land. And that's exactly uh, what, we're, what we're seeing. Verse two, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. Because of verse one, then you have the result there in verse two. You know, what's interesting is um, having no knowledge of God in the land, I I liken that, uh, you know, verse one there to um, the little family of mice. And they're living in the grand piano there. And they, one night they hear this music being played and they're amazed. So one little mice ventures out from their little, you know, mice nest and they see there's these big, Steel strings, and the little mice come back to reports the music's coming from strings, these little strings, and they're lined up and they're on this big brass thing, and, and so that's what we should start to believe that there's strings that make all the sound. Oh, oh! Well, one of the mice says, "I don't think so." And they go back and venture out another night when the music's playing, and they see the strings, but then they see these felt hammers hitting the strings. Well, it's the hammers. And so they say, we need to worship the hammers. That's the origin of the beautiful music. And, and, and so they believed it was all about these felt hammers that was uh, the beautiful thing that they had to worship. But then they saw that the hammers were connected to sort of a linkage that was tied into these, these little buttons that someone was supposed to push, but they only saw the buttons. They go, it's, the, it's the ebony and ivory, you know, it's, the, it's the, the keyboard. That's the thing we worship. But they didn't realize that behind it all was a pianist, someone who was actually intelligent, who was making use of these things that were just implements. But actually there was something much greater that was actually playing the music. We're like the mice. Because we have no knowledge of God, we think it's all about the the things that that we're seeing, things that are obvious and evident to us. And because there's no knowledge of God, we don't submit ourselves to God. We only submit ourselves as far as we can see or understand. And so as we get more and more atheist, more and more secularized, it's no wonder we don't have a problem with the direction everything's going. Because that's the problem. In verse one, no knowledge of God, no truth, and no mercy. So what happens? They start demonstrating the result of no knowledge of God, verse two, by swearing, by lying and killing, stealing and committing adultery. Um, They break out. The word break out there means that they break through all the previous boundaries. Things that were once a boundary are no longer a boundary. Do you see that happening in our culture? Things we once said, well, that's crossing a line. Now we're saying it's not crossing a line. Um, and it's amazing some of the boundaries we've broken just in the past couple of years. In the last two years, the boundaries that we've broken in, in gender issues and, and uh, surgeries we're giving to little children uh, in the transgender movement and stuff that were boundaries that you know five years ago would have been unthinkable. And now we're breaking these boundaries because we have no knowledge of God in the land. Breaking boundaries and blood touching blood. Um, it means you know bloodshed upon bloodshed. some people believe bloodshed against their own family members. some Some interpret that that way. But you know we 're doing all of these things in, in, in our country. Well, Brad, come on, swearing, lying, yeah, okay, maybe, but killing are we who are we killing? Well, um, let's just bring up abortion since we 're on such a rampage here tonight. Um, abortion we're seeing millions of babies murdered. Uh, And and I think that that that's gonna be something that our nation's gonna have to answer for. Um, Stealing, committing adultery, um, uh, breaking out the boundaries, blood touching blood. These are all descriptions of things we're seeing in our culture and and seeing what's going on. Um, So um, verse three, therefore shall the land mourn and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Interesting. What's going to mourn the land itself? Um, you know, I, I find it interesting that people are saying, you know, the environment, climate change, our Earth is hurting, Mother Earth is angry, or whatever they want to say. But the truth is, when it comes to the Earth and the animals and, and all that, um, you want to know what's caused all the trouble? Anybody? One word. Sin. Bible tells us this. If you believe the Bible, when Adam and Eve sinned, the earth turned out to be in this fallen condition. Everything fell from that point on. Sin brought thorns into the, you know, the ground before, you know, Adam and Eve could just sit in the garden of Eden and pick fruit from the trees and eat these wonderful tasty fruits and stuff. But eventually with the curse and the fall of man and sin, suddenly man had to work by the sweat of his brow to to provide food. And, 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 you know, before the, the fall of man, it, it doesn't seem like there was, you know, uh, you know, the lion chomping down the lamb for lamb chops. That's gonna be like that in the pre-Garden uh, of Eden days. It's gonna be like that during the millennial kingdom. The lion will lie down with the lamb. It won't, uh, you know, the lion lying down with the lamb. I've always said it, uh, that happens today. Only the lamb's inside the lion. Um, so it doesn't have too helpful on the lamb. But there's coming a day where the the earth is gonna change. In fact, the Bible says when Christ returns and the millennial kingdom comes, it says all the trees of the field shall clap their hand. Uh, The trees are gonna be like, finally. (laughs) Yay, the Lord's here. Uh, If you're a tree hugger, stop it. You're not helping. You're not gonna make a tree happy by hugging it. You probably need to take a bath and then and hug the tree. And I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, the stinky hippie out there chaining themselves to tree, not gonna help anything. What's actually gonna help is Jesus's return. So stop getting all earth worshipy. You know, that's the problem that we've made a mistake in thinking that worshiping environment, I'm not saying trash the environment, of course. It's always funny when people say, you guys just believe in trashing the environment. Um, No, the Bible tells us that we as Christians are to be good stewards of this earth, of course. But the Bible also tells us that this earth is in a fallen state and it's falling and it's falling and it's eventually, well, what's gonna happen? We'll jot this down in your notes, but it's Hebrews chapter one, verses 10 and 12. 10 through 12, let me read that to you. It says this, Hebrews 1 10 says, and thou Lord in the beginning, Hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, the heavens and the earth, but thou remainest. And they, that heaven and the earth that God created, shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture, thou shalt fold them up and they shall be changed. But thou art the same and thy years shall not fail. Have you ever read that? Old pair of shoes that's just so comfortable, and you love wearing them. Uh, the, and then, and then they just get so bad. Your your friends are like, "Man, it's probably time to retire those shoes." You know, they're looking, but they're just so comfortable. But finally, the sole falls off, and you you finally have to reluctantly, or whatever, you know, or maybe that pair of jeans. You know, that you love that pair of jeans, and and, and you just wear them out until there's just barely threads hanging on. Um, but. The Lord says, I'm gonna fold it up like an old piece of clothing and put it away. That's what he's gonna do with the earth. So, you know, it's a futile attempt to try to say, we're gonna save the earth because the earth is going down according to what the Bible says. Should we try to speed that up? No. Uh, You know, just trash the earth? No. We're to be good stewards. But the Bible says he's gonna fold it up like an old piece of clothing. And he's gonna, good news for you earth people, um, he's gonna create a new heaven and a new earth. And the first one was pretty impressive, wouldn't you agree? but the next one's gonna be even more glorious according to the Bible, the new heaven and the new earth that the Lord's gonna prepare. So we need to have perspective on this. Interesting, the world that seems to care about the earth and climate change and all that, they're the same people that are destroying it with their own sin. That's what it says in our verse, it says that. Uh, It's interesting to me that you know um, Hosea the prophet is saying that way back thousands of years ago, but he says, again, verse three, therefore shall the land mourn, And everyone that dwells there and languish with the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea shall also be taken away. Um, Man, sin is linked to uh, the environment, I believe, and it has to do with the fall. So if people are seeing the fall in the environment, and by the way, I'm not sure we're seeing it the way some people are saying it's happening either. Um, It's all part of the lies uh, that we have out there. But there are uh, evidences that there are things winding down on this earth and uh, the Bible says that's gonna happen. Don't be shocked, it's because of sin though. Uh, Verse four, yet let no man strive nor reprove another for thy people are as they that strive with the priest. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night and I will destroy thy mother. Huh? Destroy your mom? Well, the mother here is Israel. I will destroy your nation, Israel, is what he's basically saying. What's gonna make Israel destroyed? He's saying, because it's like when people strive with the priest, that is the legitimate, honest priest, and they don't wanna hear what he has to say. Um, Therefore, you're gonna fall in the day and the prophet shall fall in the night. What's that? Well, if you raise, remember, there were in these days, false prophets. Those that were saying, remember, remember during Jeremiah's time, there were the priests going, oh yeah, it's all gonna be great. Everything's gonna be wonderful. Remember they even had that one dude with the bullhorn saying, look, I'm like a bull. And he starts you know, doing this overly drama, theatrical, thespian display in front of the king. You know, look at me, I'm a bull. And, he, and he's doing all this crazy theatrics saying, we're gonna be like a bull, smashing Babylon. What an idiot. That was so not true. Babylon came and crushed them. They weren't like a big bull. They were like a little bug. That's what happened to the Jews with the Babylonians. It's because he was a false prophet. Um, man, we, it's, it just be, keep this in mind. Just because people are being theatrical uh, doesn't, mean, doesn't make it true. Do you understand that? I hope we all understand that. Just be, because we see theatrics and people really upset or really demonstrative does not make what you're seeing true. And that, that's the problem with these days. And even some of the priests and the prophets were, were really misleading the people, both in the Northern kingdom, the 10 tribes, along with the Southern. Um, you know, it's, there's an old saying, weak point, pound the pulpit. The weaker the point you have as a pastor, just pound the point, pulpit the harder and people will believe it. Um, I think that's happening today. There's very demonstrative people and pastors and so-called you know, ministers and stuff that are you know, really pounding the pulpit or, or theatrical or dramatic and people go, wow, that's amazing. But just because it's theatrical or because uh, very you know, um, you know, sort of demonstrative doesn't make it true. That's the problem. There were priests and prophets in these days who were saying one thing, but it was all false and it was all illegitimate. Um, so there was a day where the people, that when they did have good priests, verse, uh, verse four, the people would strive with those priests, the good ones. They'd argue with them. It's interesting. By the way, I'm gonna say something that's probably gonna get me into trouble because we're living in a culture today, by the way, if you're not following church stuff in America, um, one of the things you're seeing is um, sort of a movement for uh, where, you know, pastors and, and stuff, some, some guys are getting in trouble. And the problem is some of them are legitimately getting in trouble for being mean-spirited or, or abusive, as some people call it. But one of the things we have to watch out for is um, pastors are supposed to have a certain authority, according to the Bible. Well, Brett, you, this is very self-serving. You're talking, I'm just, you can look this up in the Bible yourself. Don't be. Don't ever listen to me and just go. Well, Brett said it, so it's true. No, you got to be like the Bereans, and do what the Bible says. Search the Scripture daily to see if what that pastor is saying is true or false. That's what you have to do with me or any other pastor. But with some of the worldview that you're seeing out there, is basically if a pastor tries to say anything authoritatively anymore, he's abusive. If he tries to say something with clarity and just often just right out of the scripture, people are like, well, that's, you know, you can't correct people of their misgivings and misguidances and you can't say anything. Otherwise you're, you're too controversial or whatever. Watch out for this um, because we're getting like these people, when they had good priests, the people strove with them and they didn't want to hear them. So then they got a bunch of priests and prophets that just said what they wanted to hear and uh, they ended up in total weakness. It's an amazing thing when people aren't willing to take you know, God's word or take correction from a pastor. And I understand, part of the problem is we have a lot of pastors that are starting to enter into the second part of this where they're not really willing to speak the truth anymore, which delegitimizes them even further. So people, some people are saying, well, we don't even need churches anymore. We need to just forget about it and go home and have home churches. And uh, by the way, I've been around long enough to see all kinds of uh, you know, patterns. And one of the patterns is, well, we're not into organized religion. Um, That's a big thing. I saw that in the 70s. Then I saw it in the 90s. Now I'm seeing it again in the 2021. Uh, I've seen the, we're not into organized religion. Why? Um, Usually because oftentimes people didn't like what organized religion was saying. Here's the question. Was Jesus into organized religion? Of course he was. He organized stuff. And he organized meetings. And when they got together, he divided them in groups and put baskets. And remember the feeding of the 5,000, very organized. And then, and then in the scriptures, when you read the book of Acts and the Apostle Paul, there's organization. A church is made up of pastors, of elders, of deacons. And, and there's different kinds of elders. There's a, a word that we call, uh, uh, the word is in the Greek episkopos, which means uh, sometimes translated to bishop. Um, the reason we don't have bishops at Athe Creek is because uh, some liturgical religions kind of ruined the word. Uh, when you see the word bishop, it sounds very weird. At least it sounds weird to me. So uh, if people call me Bishop Brett, full <laughs> eh, a weird. I'm not really willing to be called that because we've, we've sort of ruined the word. But uh, technically, we have an episkopos, that is a group of governing elders— they're the ones that are sort of the ruling elders of the church, they're the ones that are making decisions. And um, I believe every church should have episkopos in them. Bishops is one word you could say, but, but the best word, go to the Greek word episkopos, and it's, it's the, that's, that's what constitutes a church. So when people say, we're not into organized religion, then you're saying you're not into what the Bible says and you're being really stubborn and you're going against what God's word says. And here's the funniest thing. I've watched this cycle over and over. We're not gonna have any leaders. We're just gonna meet in our, our home and worship the Lord. and We're just gonna do it. Well, good for you, but somebody will surface as the leader, trust me. You just watch. Somebody will surface and you'll hate him. Yeah. <laughs> as Soon as there's someone, you know, Uncle Joe says, well, you know, hey, let's pray. Well, who said Uncle Joe could tell us when we're supposed to pray? I don't like Uncle Joe and blah, blah, blah. It just goes on and on. Uh, you know, people are stubborn. We're stubborn people. And, and we often really fly in the face of what God says. So when you go to a church, you got to go to organized church. I, I believe that's what the Bible says. Well, Brett, I don't like my church. Then find one, find a good church where you can go and worship the Lord and hear Bible instruction and, and fellowship one with another and care about one another and love on each other and be a part of a church. Um, there's different kinds of churches, different flavors, and I think we celebrate that. We celebrate the different flavors of churches. Some churches have different emphasis. Some are more about community. Now, you've heard me say, uh, people say, it's all about community. No, it's not. But some churches are all about community. Maybe that's your style. That's great. It's not an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. It's, it's something we can disagree on. Find a church that's really into community. That's great. Or there's other churches, it's all about missions, missions, missions. Hey, Athe Greek's got mission work and we do some great things, but we're not you know, mission centric. There are churches that are more mission centric. There's churches you could go to. Um, I love that. We celebrate the different you know, flavors and ministries and stuff. All the things that are within the essential doctrines of Christian faith, that's all good. But if, there, if there's essential doctrine differences, for example, um, I wouldn't recommend the Mormon church because they don't believe that Jesus is God. That's a big problem. That's an essential doctrine of the Christian faith, and that's why the pale of orthodoxy of Christians have never let Mormons into that group. Why? Because they believe in a huge difference between what our Bible says and what their Bible says, the Book of Mormon. So we need to understand there are differences that are, you know, should exclude certain churches, of course. And we gotta be Bereans and search the scriptures, and make sure the churches are solid, but there's all kinds of good options of churches you can go to, organized religion. But it's when people start saying, I don't like having authority over me. That's what happens here in Hosea's time. We don't like the priest telling us what to do. So they strove with the priests, which promoted priests and prophets that were not really speaking the word of God. That's what happened. That's what happens here in verses uh, four and five. And then verse six is sort of, again, the result of that. Verse six, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Whew! isn't that a brutal statement? I mean, the Lord's just calling him out saying, because you've done this thing, you've forgotten me, but I'm gonna forget your children, the children of Israel. And he would, he would scatter them all over the world and they would seemingly be totally forgotten. Did he forget them for a season? Yes, but did he totally forget them? No. The Lord has a covenant with Israel that he's gonna show us. And we saw a bit of that last week in chapter five, uh, pardon me, chapter three. Um, But um, verse seven, as they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore, will I change their glory into shame? The more they increased, um, this is an interesting thing that we see, uh, you know, with um, oftentimes prosperity, It comes to all kinds of other problems. Prosperity leads to complacency, where people just kind of get in a mode like, yeah, whatever, Uh, at least we're prosperous, so we don't care about anything else. That's where these people were. The people of Hosea's time, the Northern 10 tribes were extremely prosperous. They were a prosperous people. Um, When you go to Israel, you can see in their archeological digs Some of the cities where these people lived in Hosea's time, you can actually go and see these places. Um, And they were prosperous people, man. They had houses that were nice. They had wealth. Uh, They lived large as far as Bible people go. But it would be shortly after all this prosperity that they'd find themselves destroyed by the Assyrian empire. And their prosperity went down the tubes. See, that's what happens here. I will change your glory, your prosperity to shame. Could that be what's happening to the United States today? You know, we sing about, you know, um, the glory of our nation and we, we're into it, we're patriots, we love this country. And we do, I do. But it's so sad to sort of in, uh, during our watch, we're watching the, the spiraling of America right now. And it's not because who we elected or or any of that. It's because I think it's the moral, it's the same moral problem of verse two or verse three. There's no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. And as long as that's true, it doesn't matter who you elect. We're gonna have trouble no matter what happens if we exclude God and we're not into truth and we're not into mercy. Um, You know, I love that. Challenge The scriptures talk about, you know, he's showing the old man what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. This is what the Lord tells us. But the further away we get from that, we see sort of verse seven, I will change their glory into shame. And that's where I go back to our our own city. We see it so up close. You know, Portland used to be kind of a city of cities. It was a beautiful, kind of a smaller, big city. But, you know, um, just watching some of the imagery of our city, even this past year, um, you see kind of this, this, this beautiful city turning out to be sort of this dark and uglier place. And especially if you go downtown, um, you know, our city, we give out syringes now. Uh, we, the public, you know, your tax dollars give out syringes and we give it to all these people. And if you go in these homeless camps all over Portland, you find syringes all over the ground. Um, you know, And so you, you just see the riots and all the stuff, and you kind of wonder, what happened to our former glory? And it's not just in Portland, it's really in many places around the country, we're seeing this sort of rapid spiral downward. And I think that's kind of what we're doing, is we're moving from, from the glory of a nation that once called out to the Lord, we're moving closer more to, uh, to destruction. And I think we're seeing our glory turned into shame. We're seeing what happened to them in verse seven, We're seeing, by the way, all of these things about the children of Israel, it's a picture of what's gonna happen in the the last days. We've seen that. It's that ripple effect of Bible prophecy. So what Hosea is prophesying here, you're gonna see more on a global scale. Everything that he's saying here is gonna happen on a global scale. This was just Israel. But today we're seeing on a global scale Our glory being turned to shame. The glory of humanity and all of our glory, it's going to be turned to shame according to the Bible. Well, it goes on in verse eight. They shall eat up the sin of my people and they set their heart on their iniquity. Boy, isn't that interesting? You know, it's um, the, what does the NIV say? Something like they relish, what is it, in their iniquities? In their wickedness. Yeah. Uh, it's so right. Uh, you know, just relishing, loving our sinfulness. And you can see that in humanity. We eat up the sin uh, of the people. It's st- we, we crave sin in our culture, in our world. That's what they were doing. Um, you know, we see uh, gay pride parades, and people are so proud of, of their own sin. They're saying, Look at us, and fly in the face of God and say, Oh, yeah, what, God calls it a sin. Whatever, we're going to celebrate and we're gonna, uh, we're gonna stand and fly in the face of God. Verse nine, and there shall be like people, like priests. <laughs> and I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. Remember those priests that I told you about that were uh, starting to just tickle the ears of the people? Instead of telling them what they should hear, like in verse four, the priests, they would strive with those priests. So they found priests that would tell them whatever they wanted them to hear And so then, by the time we get here in verse nine, it says, so, like priests, like people, or like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. Man, um, it's be careful, you know, we talk about good churches and bad churches. you know, there's things you should look for, I think, if you're out living in America somewhere. I have to remember our, our congregation is larger than just this room. Uh, I do love having people in the room, and you're doing a good thing by being in the room, I think. Uh, good fellowship and being here. But I also understand that, you know, we're getting nowadays hundreds of thousands of people watching our studies online. And um, some people write us letters. We get so many fun letters uh, of people, uh, of, uh, the, the, you know. I wish you guys could hear some of the stories that we're hearing. Uh, I'm not saying this like to brag. I'm just saying, what a joy to be a part of what the Lord's doing here. But there's a lot of people that are living in small towns or places, or even big towns, where you can't find Bible teaching anymore. Um, and I, I get it. I understand why people are saying, Brett, Athey Creek's kind of becoming our church, and we know we're supposed to find a church locally. But we're really having a hard time because we're starving biblically. Um, so what we're finding is there are a lot of people that are saying, we're going to uh, you know, go to AC Creek on Wednesday night uh, online. So we're glad you're all with us online. Um, there's there's probably 10 times the people online right now than there are in this room, at least live right now. And then afterward, there's another 40 or 50 times that many people. Like, it's amazing to watch uh, you know what people are doing, but but here's what we're finding is like last Sunday there were these two guys, really cool guys. I didn't get to meet them, but um, but it was really cool because uh, I don't want to expose who they are too much. But these two sheriffs, the, their their partners and their sheriffs in a town in California somewhere, um, but they uh, they've been watching online and they they and their whole a bunch of their guys in their their police precinct, they're all watching online, Athey Creek. So a couple of these guys drove up here, just, just did a little road trip just to come to church on Sunday. Uh, And I thought that was so cool. Uh, What a cool thing. Really cool. Plus they gave me two really cool sheriff patches, you know, the stitch on kind. (laughs) I was like, yes, major score there. That was awesome. Um, (laughs) uh, But, um, you know, and, and, over and over, I'm hearing stories, people from Sarasota, Florida. Florida that um, what, I think I mentioned maybe one couple that uh, they went up to, a, I think it was a wedding in Montana. They had a wedding up in like Missoula. And they came and they, they came and I was just standing in the back while worship was happening before Sunday, or Sunday during Sunday service. And I was just worshiping the Lord kind of back in the, in the foyer there, uh, getting ready to come up and teach. But these, this couple come up, yeah, we were, we were at a wedding in Montana, so we thought we'd just stop by and go to Athey Creek because uh, <laughs> they were from Florida, you know. And I was like, I, we're hearing that story every Sunday. There's many people that just, they're coming just because they want to come and visit, be a part of this, you know, which is really, really cool. Um, but, but that makes me concerned because I think there should be uh, churches all over this country that are teaching the Bible. Uh, we're, we're, I think there's a real need. Uh, the reason I mentioned that is I wonder, I wonder if maybe there needs to be another generation of people that'll come out, maybe come out of Athey Creek. I'm not saying Athey Creek's the only church or anything like that, that's ridiculous. But it does seem like the verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible teaching, people are really hungry for that. And I, I do think we need men that will be willing to, in this next season to maybe step up and say, we're gonna go start a church over in some place. I mean, fill in the blank. I could, I could direct you to hundred towns, people saying, man, send somebody. We've got people in Arizona saying, send somebody to teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Keep it simple. Don't go crazy. Uh, do it like, like eighth the creek. Um, we need some, some men to, to study the scriptures and, and to grow and say, I could go and teach verse by verse. It's not as hard as people think, but it is what people are hungry for, the word of God living and powerful. It's the thing that's changing lives, and especially in the days we're living. So there's sort of a, a famine in the land, like the Bible said there would be for those that would be willing to hear the true word of God, and, and that means to even teach the word of God. That was the case in Hosea's time, and that's what we're reading about here. Uh, what a sad deal. So the Lord says, because you're like the people, like the priests, I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. Verse 10 for they shall eat and not have enough." Well, that's a life first for me right there. <laughs> <laughs> they shall commit whoredom, uh-oh, and they shall not increase, but they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Um, so you could say this is gluttony, and gluttony is a sin. They're like, Brett, uh, do we need to fire you as a pastor? Probably, uh, no, just, uh, here's the thing about this. It's, it's a funny thing because um, there is a sin that we all struggle with. We all have struggles, but here's the thing. This is actually, believe it or not, if you uh, look up the scholars, what they say about it, we're not talking about gluttony. They're talking about um, their sins. They were chomping it down, but it left them hungry. Have you, ever, have you ever had food like that where you eat a ton of it, but you're still hungry? Um, don't you love the food that kind of fills you up? makes you feel full for a long time. Uh, That's actually what we're talking about here. Let's read it again. For they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom and they shall not increase because they have left off um, to take heed to the Lord. So basically they're, you know, kind of like eating the cotton candy, uh, but they're still hungry and they don't realize why. It's because they're eating the wrong stuff. That's, that's the sort of thing there. But at the same time, you know, we, we all have to kind of acknowledge what the Bible says about that. So um, Brett, what about eating and stuff? What if, what if you're overweight? Well, as it turns out, most Americans are overweight as it turns out. So we're all sinners. <laughs> We've all fallen short. Um, there's no one righteous except for you skinny people uh, that are in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, And by the way, um, you know, one of the things that we have to be careful about when we talk about sin, whether it's um, the sin of homosexuality or the sin of gluttony or the sin of alcoholism, we'll talk about that in a second. Do we have favors, favorite sins that we like to talk about or ones that we exclude? Well, uh, actually no, but most of the people I know, like it has to do with your attitude towards certain sins. Um, For a lot of people, you know, eating is a struggle. Boy, I wish I could just quit cold turkey, no more food ever again. I'd almost do better at that. (laughs) You know, it's funny how people get all upset about that or tweaked out and what about this? And they like to, but the thing that I want us to remember is what is our attitude towards sin? Are we wrestling against it? Are we struggling? Or are we celebrating it or embracing it? That's the thing. So like if I'm talking about homosexuality, if a person's saying, man, I've struggled with homosexuality and I'm wrestling with that sin and I know that it's sin and I'm calling it a sin, then that's different. Join the crowd. We all have our sins that we wrestle with. But it's this idea of saying it's not a sin because it's my struggle and I just deem it not a sin anymore. That's where the sin becomes a problem. Um, You know, Paul even talked about, I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I, I do wanna do. And Paul says, I, Paul the apostle, am, not was, I am the chiefest of sinners. So one of the mistakes we make is when we start saying, well, you're a sinner, Brett. And I always kind of say, good eye. And you don't even know how bad it is. You know, just ask my wife. Uh, you know, I mean, ask, like, we're all sinners and we all struggle with stuff, but that's the key. Do, are we wrestling against it? Are we struggling against it? Are we pushing against it? Or are we just saying, you know what? It's just the way I am. Uh, and I don't care what God's word has to say. There's a big difference there. That's the biggest problem. That's why homosexuality does get a lot of ink or press when you're talking about the Bible because there's an attitude that says it's all good and we should be prideful about it. And that's what's so heartbreaking because those who continually practice such sins shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says. If you continually practice, that is unrepentant, not even trying to fight against that temptation to sin, whatever sin it might be, if you're just trying to practice and get better at it, then that's a scary thing. So that's the attitude we need to look for is not perfection. Is that person a perfect person and sinless? Well, you'll never find that person. And if you're looking for that pastor, you should definitely go to another church. (laughs) You really should. Um, But if you're looking for any pastor that's gonna be sinless or perfect or without sin, then you gotta kinda go somewhere else uh, and you'll never find that. And if you find the perfect church, don't go to it because you'll ruin it. So be careful on that one. But but all that to say, the people have committed whoredoms and because of that, they were uh, not, you know, taking heed at all to the Lord, that's what's happening. Well, speaking of the whoredoms, verse 11, whoredom and wine and new wine, take away the heart. Man, this is an interesting thing because that's what um, alcoholism, speaking of all the sins and what have you, um, alcoholism, would you guys agree that uh, the Bible says that Drunkenness is a sin, Does people, do you guys agree with that? Yes, is drinking alcohol a sin? No, definitely not. Jesus drank alcohol, as it turns out. Now he wasn't drinking Jack, Jack Daniels for you history people, um, just, just so you know, um, it wasn't Jack Daniels. Um, but, but as it turns out, Jesus drank wine. Now, he, if you're saying, well, Jesus drinks wine, so I'm gonna, you can't say that. Jesus says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I come again. Uh, there's a whole other story involved with that. But, um, but uh, so if you're gonna say I'm just like Jesus, then you, sh- you should be a teetotaler because uh, that's what Jesus is doing right now. But as it turns out, I'm sort of joking there, but this is one of those things that I was just mentioning because um, a lot of our world is trying to say alcoholism or drunkenness, it's not a sin, we're calling it a disease. And I know this is gonna be very unpopular. Every time I mention this, I get letters and emails, and so if you wanna add on to the thousands of emails or whatever, go ahead. But, um, but you know, isn't it funny? Because when I look at what disease is, um, I, I, I kind of have an idea of what disease is, but um, you know, if you're calling alcoholism or drunkenness a disease, it's the only disease you go to a store to purchase. Um, By the way, um, there was a doctor who wrote this. It's not me, a medical doctor who uh, um, they asked him, you know, about the the disease of alcohol. And he said, alcoholism is not a disease. Um, As a disease expert, he said, "Um, if alcoholism is a disease, he said, then it's the only disease that is habit forming. It's the only disease that comes in a bottle. It's the only disease promoting crime and brutality. It's the only disease contributing to hundreds of thousands of automobile accidents. It's the only disease playing a major part in over 50% uh, of the more than 50,000 annual highway deaths. It's the only disease in which is sold by license. It's the only disease that is bought in grocery stores, drug stores, and well-marked retail outlets, and he says it's also the only disease that is taxed by the government. And as it turns out, the Bible doesn't say alcoholism or drunkenness is a disease; it says it is sin. That's what the Bible says. So, brother, are you condemning? You're a glutton. So why why wouldn't I? Well, listen, uh, j- listen. If you're saying. Um, I'm just gonna drink until I'm drunk and, and sloshed every night. I enjoy it, so there. Well, then, then that's where you're sinning. That's where the sin is. And, 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 and we all stumble in sin. The difference is are you wrestling against it? If, if you can at least acknowledge it. And, and some people, the problem with acknowledging that I have the disease of alcoholism, it sort of takes some of the pressure off of you. It's not your fault. Because a disease is something you get when it's not your fault. You were just stricken with a disease What a horrible thing. But actually the Bible says, no, you gotta own that one. You need to own the fact that when you're an alcoholic, you need to say, man, I have sinned against the Lord, just like we all do with all of our sins. That's that's entering into sort of the homosexual issue where people are celebrating it, saying it's all okay. Just like we're saying, when alcohol, we say it's a disease, we're we're sort of saying, well, it's okay because, I mean, it's bad, but it's not your fault. No, you gotta repent. Just like we all have to repent of all of our sins and say, we're gonna fight against that tendency and wrestle against the sin, um, you know, do spiritual warfare against those sins. And you know, some of you are gonna struggle with that to the day you die. And that's what, that's what happens with a lot of sins. Some, some of us are gonna struggle, struggle with certain sins till the day we die. But the key is: Are you just are you acknowledging it as sin? That's an important thing. Here, the people of Israel were not doing that. When it says this, um, this is where whoredom uh, and wine and new wine, they, it was taking away their heart. This is what Solomon warned about: If you're a king or a leader, it's not for kings or rulers to be given to wine or strong drink, uh, because they'll pervert the law and pervert good judgment, forget the law and pervert good judgment. Um, and that's the, that was the warning given. The people of Israel far surpassed that; they were a bunch of drunks running around partying down, and they could care less. That's the idea. Verse 12, my people ask counsel at their stocks, and their staff declareth unto them, Uh, the spirit of whoredom hath caused them to err, and they've gone a whoring from under their God. Now this is again where the King James makes it a little bit tricky, Um, they went to Wall Street and they got a shepherd's staff? No. Um, This is uh, Hosea chapter 4, verse 12 in the ESV. And this makes it a little more clear. My people inquire of a piece of wood and their walking staff gives them oracles for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray and they have left their God to play the whore. Um, this is them turning to their wooden idols and worshiping them and, and looking for wisdom from their, their objects like their staff and their walking staff. Um, now, by the way, this is an interesting thing because um, um, when, it's, when back in verse 10, it says that they were um, eating uh, and committing whoredom um, and they left off to take heed to the Lord. One of the things that they were doing is they were eating. Do you remember what they were eating uh, and bringing to worship Baal? What did they bring to worship Baal? Anybody? Raisin cakes. Remember raisin two cakes, Mr. You know, uh, Mr. Gomer. You know, Gomer's dad. Uh, his name meant two raisin cakes um, or two cakes. But um, the, the idea is, is that these people they were they were trying to get um, enough and and um, worship their idols, whoredoms against the Lord is the idea there. But the very things that they were trying to do were the very things they weren't getting. What an irony here, we kind of see that. There's an irony that Baal worship was supposed to um, bring fertility of the soil and fertility for the womb of the woman. But it's interesting because Israel was not having either during this time. They started getting, during the time of Hosea, the, 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 the drought that caused their crops to fail and they weren't getting what they wanted with uh, pregnancy and what have you. So the, what did the people do? They went to their wooden idols and sought after them, oracles, and, um, and their, their, their staff led them astray, doing stupid things. Superstition and worshiping of false deities. That's what's going on here. Verse, seven, uh, verse 13. It says they sacrifice upon the tops of the mountains and burn incense upon the hills under the oaks and poplars and elms because the shadow thereof is good. Therefore your daughters shall commit whoredom and your spouses shall commit adultery. Um, This was the groves. Uh, When you read about the groves of the Old Testament, people would worship and they would do all kinds of sexual pagan practices in the groves. And the darker the grove, the better. Uh, Jesus talked about men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. And that's exactly what's going on here. Um, Now there's a a language thing that that, that this was, this has to do a little bit with what we were talking about, um, cult prostitution. But one of the things, this is kind of grotesque and the King James sort of cleans this up a little bit, but it says, therefore your daughters shall commit whoredom and your spouses shall commit adultery. Um, uh, There was a, a pagan practice during this time where when there was infertility or whatever, there was sort of this uh, thing, and it might be better read daughter-in-law uh, against the father, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, there was a sick practice that they were doing, committing adultery, inner, inner family incest or whatever, uh, with daughter-in-law versus the father. And what does the Lord say? Verse 14, I will not, uh, I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, or your spouses when they commit adultery, for themselves are separated with whores and their sacrifice with harlots. Therefore the people that doeth not understand shall fall. Though thou Israel play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend, and come not ye unto Gilgal, neither go ye up to beth nor swear the Lord liveth, for Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer, now the Lord will feed them as a lamb in a large place. Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. Um, wow, this is kind of a mouthful. And, um, but one thing that you got to kind of see here is it seems that the Lord, and, and, and again, if you're reading a new, newer translation, it might be even a little clearer here, but the Lord is not putting it on the, the young women, the prostitutes, as much as he's putting it upon the men of the culture. Did you see that? That's one of the things the Lord's doing there, um, and isn't it true? If we look at what's really going on in the world today, if 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 um, and and I understand that you know things like pornography is not just a, a man's problem. I've I've had several people say, Brett, you know, um, like 17 percent of people who look at pornography are women. Um, so yes, men are by far looking at pornography. We did the last two ironworks on the topic of pornography, um, but. But it's interesting because when a culture goes down sexually as as perverse, one of the things the Lord seems to always do is put it on the men, that the men should be the ones leading and covering and not allowing that to happen in their culture. Um, and the more men weaken in this, the more the whole culture goes down. And uh, it's interesting that the Lord does seem to put that on the men. Um, in these days where um, everybody wants you know, uh, equality and, and you'll have the big debate in the church, you know, and, and that's another thing that's happening really uh, fast today is churches are blowing off 1 Timothy chapter two and passages like that that basically say that you know, the men are supposed to be the leaders in the church. Men are supposed to lead um, and, and women are not supposed to be teaching uh, other men in the church. Uh, the men are supposed to be teaching And what are women supposed to do? Brett, I don't like the language of the Bible that women are supposed to learn in silence and subjection. Misogynistic. Well, here's the thing. Um, And by the way, some people say, that's just a cultural thing. That's what you'll hear at George Fox, for example. Um, You know, they're very much uh, moving more to an egalitarian. See, there's the egalitarian view and the complementarian view. See, in, in, in our view, biblically, we believe that the Bible does give us different roles, men and women. Men are not better than women. Um, men aren't smarter than women. That's a for sure provable, uh, pretty much on every level. But as it turns out, um, men are supposed to lead the church. Um, and, and that's one of the roles God's given us. Now, by the way, the Lord has a bunch of wonderful roles for women to play in the church. And man, we love that and we celebrate that. We have amazing women in our church at 8th um Women who are leaders and leading women's groups and, and exceptional Bible teachers but you shouldn't have a woman Bible teacher. It doesn't say that. It says that the women should not be teaching the men, but the men should be handling the heavy duty doctrine of teaching. That's, that's the role of men. So the complementarian view is to say, we believe men and women complement each other. And we're thankful for that. And the things that women are really awesome at, we're gonna celebrate that. Things, that. things that men are really good at, we're gonna celebrate that. And we're gonna try to do what God told us to do in that. Um, I, I liken it to a football team. Um, you know, some guys are better at other parts, you know, like um, would you take a, uh, a quarterback in the NFL and say, would, would he say, you know, I'm sick of throwing the ball. And they always make me do all the brain work. So I'm done with that. I wanna be a big, huge, you know, doof and I wanna be a lineman. Um, so we say, okay, now as an old lineman, I can stand with my bros on this. And um, some of the linemen are some of the smartest guys on the field, by the way. Um, uh, and you put a quarterback in the lineman position and let's just say we pull that offensive guard out and say, you're the, the quarterback. Yeah. So the offensive guard is quarterback, and the, the quarterback, first of all, we'd have to get a hearse because the quarterback would die. He'd be crushed because you have this 350 pound linebacker that can run a four, three, 40, and he can smash his skull with the palm of his hand. Like, and, and there's no penalty for hitting him. Uh, the quarterback's used to getting oh, if you smash him, you get a penalty no, 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 if you're an offensive lineman you can do whatever you want, crush him, do whatever so the quarterback would die but what happens when the lineman would get back in the quarterback position, it'd be like man, you wouldn't be able to make a play and he's not agile or quick enough. And, and when you have other 350 pound guys coming in, you, you can sort of tackle him and stuff. And, it, and he just can't move and get the ball moved. It just doesn't work. And, and, and see, the, the thing is, when you see all these positions, you realize there's certain guys, some people have real high speed, other guys have power. Um, you know, some positions require a little bit of speed and agility and, and Brett, why are you talking about NFL? the reason is the church, God says, I have positions for y'all. And I want, I want you to do what you're good at. And, and by the way, the church is so good when we celebrate the way God made us and the roles he's given us. That's the way we believe it. So when I got yelled at by a couple of George Foster professors after Wednesday night Bible study, they said, Pastor Metter, I've noticed you don't have any elders on your uh, women on your elders team and there's no pastors. And I, I noticed your worship leader were, were, were guys, where's your women? And, and, uh, and that night we didn't have any ladies leading worship. We, we do have ladies lead worship because that's not teaching the word to men. Uh, and leading worship is something that I think women do really well. Um, and I think that's an awesome thing. We, we love having gals in our church lead worship. But do we have women elders? No, because the Bible says you're not supposed to do that. Now, here's what people say. They say, well, that was for that time. Paul was just at a day where that was not good for that day. First of all, do you remember the illustration that Paul gave as to why women shouldn't lead in church? Anybody remember that? What was the reason Paul said, here's why women aren't supposed to lead and teach in the church, anybody? Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam was, was, was not deceived, but the woman was first deceived, then Adam. Um, so, so that takes away the cultural ar- argument because we're, we're moving thousands of years away and and throughout all the ages, the reason that Paul gives has to do with the heart of women. Now, this is gonna seem very sexist and in this day misogynistic, but here's the thing. One of the things I love so much about the women in our fellowship is there's a sensitivity to spiritual things. There's a desire more than there is in oftentimes the men to be deeper, to, to have a real prayer life, to be compassionate and sensitive towards others. How thankful I am for women who have those sensitivities Because us men, oftentimes we're not that sensitive. We have our own strengths, but often sensitivity, some of us have better sensitivities than others. But really, I'm so thankful for that part of the women in our church. But it's those same sensitivities that might be a little more prone to uh, taking in things that are not even really biblically sound. Uh, I know I'm going to make people mad, but if you look at New Age, by the way, which is some of the weirdest teaching in the world, largely, not completely, but largely, it's led by women, the New Age movement. And it's because women have the same desire as Eve. Eve wanted something wonderful. She wanted to have her eyes open and enlightenment. And Satan lured her in and said, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. And she said, okay. Now, Adam, I don't think he would have fallen for that one. Uh, Satan was said, "Hey Adam, you'll be enlightened, and you'll have you'll 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 suddenly be enlightened, and you'll be like God." Adam went, "Hmm, whatever." <laughs> How did Adam fall? Naked woman. I mean, I'm not trying to demean the brothers here, but we have different problems, different challenges, but doctrine's not one of them. Doctrine's not one of them. Um, men tend to be a little more uh, like, hey, we're gonna gonna hold the line on this one. Um, I know people hate that, but that's what the Bible says. uh, And some people, you know, if you don't like it, um, then uh, you have have not a problem with me. Uh, You you really have to wrestle through uh, the Bible and what God's word says. Um, And it's really funny to watch some of these people like these egalitarian places like George Fox College, who used to not believe this, by the way. It's in the last 20 years, they've changed their whole thing. But um, uh, now they're very much steeped in this whole thing of women being pastors and elders. And you're not gonna see that at Athey Creek. It's not because we don't love women. It's quite the opposite. We think the women in the church are amazing and contribute huge blessing to this congregation. And I I gotta make that really clear. Well, I think I've hit almost all the controversial topics tonight. Abortion, (laughs) uh, women in the church. Man, what else can we get into here? Um, where were we? Um, oh, yes. So um, so here in verses uh, you know, 14 through uh, 17, he's basically saying, I'm not going to blame the girls. I'm going to blame the men. The men are the ones who are going to be held accountable for this. I think that's true today, by the way, for a lot of the things that are happening wrong in America, in the church. I think men are going to have to answer for that um, because we should have been leading and covering Um, There's a scary thing here and and boy, uh, this word in verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. Uh, The word Ephraim is a synecdoche. You can look it up if you want to, but basically it's used as sort of a a derogatory description of the Northern 10 tribes when it says Ephraim. Um, But then it says, but leave him alone. This reminds me a little bit of what God says. There's certain people that have crossed a line. And uh, where can you think about that? We read about it in Genesis chapter six, verse three, where God says he gave them, you know, the spirit of God, pardon me, will not always strive with man. There's a point where God says, I'm done with you as a people group. That's what he's saying about the Northern 10, ten tribes. Leave him alone, let him to his own sin. Revelation chapter 22 verse 11 has the same thing about people in the last days. Let him, it says, verse 11, 22, 11, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Behold, I come quickly. There's a point where God says, you wanna be unholy and sinful? Go ahead. Remember Romans chapter one says, God gave them over to their lusts and their perversions. And there's a point where God says, I'm not even gonna try to woo you back anymore. You're toast. Uh, Man, I hope none of us ever get to that place in sin where we just keep pushing and pushing. And by the way, when it talks about the heifer here, um, it, it's not saying that, you know, um, backsliding like the um, like, you know, typical backsliding. It says in verse 16, for Israel's back as a backsliding heifer, the, means, the, the idea is the heifer that's pulling against, the, you know, against you instead of going the direction you want it to go. That's, that's what Israel has done. Verse 18, their drink is sour, they have committed whoredom continually. Her rulers with shame to love, give ye. Um, the wind hath bound her up in her wings and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Um, people are carried away by every wind of doctrine. Um, that's happening today. Like what verse 19 says, every little wind of doctrine that comes and goes, be careful church. There's so much information out there. I, I feel like you've got tons of information and it's, it's getting harder and harder to discern what is good and what is bad. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that some of the books that are being passed around, even around Athey Creek. Um, you know, uh, some prophetess from Bethel. If you're reading a book about a, from a prophetess of Bethel, you'd probably not read that book. Uh, you can if you want to, but it, it's, it's got some wacko teaching. Um, there's some wacko teaching. Everywhere you look, there's stuff you have to watch out for. And, and you know, we need to be good discerners, good discerners of truth. And, and again, I would challenge the men, men that you need to step up and make sure that the things that are being read in your household are not weird kind of new age stuff. Um, you know, I, I said I was going to touch every controversial thing. Here I am on Bethel now. Um, but, um, but I'm telling you one of the things Bethel does it's not the glitter that falls from the rafters it's not the grave soaking that they do and I mean that's all weird if you ask me it's not in the Bible but that's not the stuff that's the problem it's the diminishing Jesus and making yourself the most important thing That's what Bethel does. And that's a really quick way to say it, but it's also a very new age thing. And if you don't believe me, just just look it up. Look up new age in Bethel and you'll see all kinds of people talking about, here's what it says in this book and here's why it's really wacko and it's not biblically right. Um, I know people get upset. Some of you guys, oh, but the worship in Bethel is so awesome. It is. It's really good, except for when it's not. Um, There's some great songs and I I wish that we had more, you know, worship leaders that would write really good, theologically sound songs. But the problem is some of those just are not sound because they're linked to a a place that teaches some crazy doctrine. Um, That's the problem. So people say, bro, why don't you guys do Bethel music? We haven't done that for years. Why not? Um, It's because we don't want to point people that direction. It's that It's that simple. We don't wanna have some young person come up and say, hey, Brett, where'd you find that song that the band was playing today? We don't wanna say, well, we got it from (laughs) Where? Uh, Where'd you get it? Bethel. Oh, we're gonna go check it out. Uh, See, we don't want that. We don't wanna point people in that direction. We wanna point people in a direction of solid doctrine. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing. That's You know, that's why I love, you know, Athey Creek. I mean, the, the the worship team has done such, we had the concert last week and it was just so fun. And, and I have to say the songs they're writing, yeah, it was so good. <laughs> if you were there, it was great. Um, but I've challenged them, right? Doctrinally solid songs. Uh, there's a need for that today because some of the most popular worship music out there may or not be really doctrinally totally solid. Um, you know, I... I, I um, I have to take pause when I, we just uh, axed a song from our list uh, just the other day, because it just didn't really line up with scripture. And I, I sat down with a couple of worship teams and said, hey, when we sing this, you know, what, what do you guys think about that? Does that sound like like Biblically Solid? And we we kind of kicked around and you could sort of take it and, and you had to work at it, but you could kind of make it say, well, if, if you're talking about this, then maybe you can make it work. I'm like, do we really want to have songs that we're doing that you have to do some mental gymnastics just to be able to figure out what we're singing about. Uh, we want our sound to be clear. And, uh, and I love that they're writing a ton of good songs. Um, and I, I hope more churches will do that, write good good worship music. Um, we do a lot of the old hymns. We, we, we do that because some of the old hymns are doctrinally really amazing. Uh, and they teach doctrine, the old hymns, some of them. But anyway, all that to say, it's getting late. So we'll do chapter five uh, <laughs> next week. Lord, Um, we don't claim to be better than anybody else. Uh, Lord, as a church, we're just a bunch of flawed individuals. But you know our hearts, Lord. We want to do what is right. We want to follow your word and not the world. Um, We want to follow what is holy and not what is hip. I pray that your church, that you'd give us discernment in these days. Oh, Lord, these people were carried away with every wind of doctrine and every little thing that just stirred up their hearts. But Lord, we wanna, we wanna recognize sin and call it what it is. And we recognize, Lord, that we're all works in progress and we all have sins that we're wrestling with. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have victory. We know, Lord, ultimately we're all gonna struggle until the day we go to be with you. But on that day, I love what your word says, when we see you, we'll be like you. Oh Lord, we look forward to that day. But until then, Lord, may your word be that lamp into our feet and that light into our path. This chapter, this little chapter four, reminds us the indictments against the Jews of the Northern Ten Tribes are very much, Lord, reminiscent of the days we're living. So may we walk with you and follow you all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.